Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, Candeo Church. It's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Trent Elliott, and I am the director of our college ministry, The Salt Company. Uh, this morning, we are going to be continuing in our series through 1 John, so you can open up your Bibles to chapter 4, if you haven't already, going through 7 through 21. And as many of you may have heard uh, through the, that scripture reading right there, this morning we are talking about love. So by my count, reading through it, I, I saw the word love pop up 27 times. And so even as you're reading this, as I was reading through it the first time, it can almost be disorienting. It, it feels like love is every other uh, word almost. So, but I'm praying this morning that as we slow down on this text, uh, we will be able to see what God has to say about his love and our ability to love others. And one of the main things that he is going to show us is that those things, his love and our ability to love others, those two things are deeply connected. You can't do the action without the appropriate source of power to help you do that action. Let me explain what I mean. So I grew up uh, water skiing. Uh, the first time that I ever got up on skis was when I was five years old. It's the, the peak of my athletic achievements. It was all downhill uh, from there. Five years old, you know, you get little trainer skis. It helps you get up. And then uh, it got a little older, you know, you lose the, the, the bar in the middle. And then in middle school, I got up on one ski for the first time. It's something I love, something I've, I've always done basically my, my whole life. I love uh, water skiing. I will say I did go over the 4th of July and uh, being a dad is catching up to me a little bit, a little harder, uh, a little less stamina, but you know, we're, we're doing our best. Um, here's, here's what I've learned about skiing. One thing I've learned about, about skiing uh, is that it's all about the horsepower of the boat. It's all about the horsepower of the boat. Yes, you need skill and technique, but if you don't have the appropriate level of horsepower, you're, there's going to be no skiing happening right? Uh, you can't ski behind a paddle boat. And for me, I've tried to ski behind things like a jet ski or a boat with a small motor. And you can like, you can hold on tight. You can give it your very best, but in the end, you're just going to get a mouthful of water. That's, that's what's going to happen. But the second that you get behind a real boat, right? And you feel that horsepower and it tightens the rope and you go, you pop out of the water, everything changes. Right? Once you get behind the appropriate boat, everything changes. What was once difficult and ended in failure all of a sudden becomes easy because you were attached to the appropriate source of power. So in the same way, there is an innate desire in all of us, in all of humans, for all of human history to love, right? Both a desire to be loved. We all long to be loved and to give that love to others. And we can do everything in our power to seek this love for ourselves and to give it to others. But if we are not connected to the appropriate source of love, we will fail. We'll never find the love that we desire. We'll never be able to truly extend love to its fullest degree. But John is going to reveal to us that the source of love is God. And that it is only through him that we can find our ability to, desire, to, to love people. So that's where we're at, verse 7. Um, verse 7, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed 
revealed among us in this way, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John starts with the main command of this passage. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. That's the command. That's the action that we're supposed to take here today. This is the command we see pop up in this passage several times, but also throughout the entirety of scripture. Think back to Mark chapter 12, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? How does he respond? He says, first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. After loving God, this is one of the main things that God has called us as Christians to do is to love people. We see it over and over, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't give a command, just, just the command, right? He also gives the reasoning and the power to, to why we should do this command. And the reason is this, because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not know God does not, uh, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. The reason that we should love one another is not just because it's the right thing to do or what feels good to do or what culture says to do or what our parents told us to do. The reason we should love one another is because it reflects the very nature of God, right? Twice this passage just told us that love is part of God's nature. It says love is from God and God is love. See, most, most of culture agrees that it's, it's a good thing to love people, right? To love yourself and to love people. That's a pretty popular thing in culture. But if you kind of ask what's behind that, like where does that desire, where does that love come from? I think the best answer that can be given is that it comes from within, right? It comes from within, within inside of us or it's something you just have to choose to do. See, everyone has a desire to be loved and to love. Everyone thinks that love is generally a good thing, but oftentimes there's no basis for that love and where it comes from, right? You're supposed to manifest it yourself. That's what culture might say. But John tells us directly where that desire in us comes from. And where does it come from? It says, love comes from God. Love is one of the essential attributes of God. Like when we're talking about God's attributes, we're talking about what scripture says about God and what, and, and how, and what is true about God, right? We talk about God being a God of holiness. We talk about God being a God of justice, an eternal God, a righteous God amongst other attributes. And as we're describing God, we can't not include love as one of those attributes. It's central to who he is. God is love. Right? Just as you can't talk about the nature of food without talking about taste, you can't talk about the nature of God without talking about love. Right? This passage could not be more clear. It says that right there. God is love. And God has a deep love for us. But this isn't the type of love that's just words, empty words. How can we actually know that God is a God of love? It says because God revealed his love. Look at verse nine again. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God's love, it's not, it's not a hidden love. 
that we have to try to imagine what it might be like. And it's not a flower petal type of love where we have to guess based on the day. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. We don't, we don't have to guess. God's love is a revealed love. He's shown it to us. And he revealed his love to us by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He revealed his, his love to us through his son who was, who was sent into this world to die for our sins, to pay the death that the penalty of death that we deserve to be raised into new lists of life so that we too can have new life. God has revealed his love to us through the son. Now here's the question we should ask. Okay, because we've heard that a lot. That's the gospel, that Jesus came, died for our sins, was raised, and we can be raised as well. Here's the question we should ask. How is that love? How is that love? What exactly about God sending his son reveals to us that God is a God of love? Well, the word that sticks out to me in this passage to bring meaning to the word love is sacrifice. Notice in verse nine, that says God sent his one and only son. He sent his one and only son. He sent his absolute best. He sent the best thing that he could send. Here's the thing as us as humans and our, our sinful human nature tendencies is that we don't like to give of our best, do we? If you've ever been to a uh, Nerf war growing up at a, at a friend's house, uh, or, if, or if you haven't, uh, let me explain how it looks. So you show up and you go into your friend's basement, right? You've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, and you kind of set the boundaries first. You got you to know, okay, I'm going to start behind this couch. You're going to start uh, over here. Okay, you got the boundaries set up. He, he gives you one of his guns and you're feeling good. You've, you've got loaded up. You got plenty of bullets, you know. It's basically like a revolver. So you got, you got six in the chamber. You're ready to go. Uh, and so you get ready to go. Everything's, everything's set. And then uh, behind the couch, you, you, hear, you hear a noise from the other side of the room. And, and you hear like basically like a motor starting up. You, you look up behind the couch and there, and there your friend is standing with his new Nerf Elite Titan CS50 extended mag tripod mounted machine gun that he got for Christmas, right? Just like, what? Where did, where, did, where did that come from? And then you still have your like little pistol that you thought was cool at the beginning, right? And so guys, I'll tell you, I didn't feel very loved that day when I was getting pelted with Nerf bullets, Right? It's not in our sinful nature to give of our best. My friend wasn't going to give me his new favorite Nerf gun. And we do this all the time. Everything from the clothes that we're willing to give to someone in need to things as silly as the size of the pizza slice we're willing to share with someone. I'm guilty of that one. What God shows us is that true love looks like giving of your best at great personal expense. And that's exactly what he did. Guys, God sent his one and only son, right? He didn't send an angel to come down. He didn't give us the leftover change. It's not like he had a multitude of sons to choose from and he would choose like his least favorite son. He sent his one and only son whom he has dwelled with and delighted in for all of eternity, the one who he loves, his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die for us, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is the God of love who is perfect 
and good. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who are due the death penalty. Yet it was God who sent his son to pay that penalty for us so that we could be reunited with our father in heaven and given eternal life. God defines love. God shows love, not us. And God has revealed his nature of love to us through the son on the cross. Maybe for you, you have a hard time picturing God as a God of love. That's one of the attributes you often leave out, right? I think a lot of us struggle with this. You understand God to be a God of holiness and justice and wrath and righteousness. Those things make sense, deserving of our reverence and our obedience. But your picture, your portrait that you paint of God doesn't include a lot of love. You may be asking, is this really who God is? Because some skeptics might point to the Old Testament and say, oh, that God, that God isn't a God of love. Love doesn't really pop up until the New Testament. Is that true? Here's the thing about God in all of his attributes. His nature does not change. That's one of his attributes. He's unchanging. When John tells us that God is love, it means that God is love. It's essential to who God is. It always has been and always will be. God does not change. John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Before anything existed, love was in the nature of God as the Father loved the Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, delighting in one another. God has and always will be love. The scripture also tells us that God is a God of holiness and justice and righteousness, right? Can both be true at once? The answer is yes, that God's love does not change his ability to be judged or anything else. I think it's best compared to a parent's love for a child. A parent can love their child, but sometimes that love takes different expressions, right? Sometimes love looks like showering good gifts on your child, right? You love to shower good gifts, to give them amazing things for them to delight in and enjoy. And that brings joy to you as a parent. And so God has done with us multiple of times, right? Creation, you can't look at the creation story and, and all that God has created and not say that that is a God of gifts, right? He has, he has given us, he's made this world. He's, he's created everything in it, everything that is beautiful and good and flourishing. And then he said uh, to make mankind in his own image as well, to bring us along, to make us co-rulers with him in this beautiful creation. And he looks at it all and he says, it is good. It is good. He's delighting in giving us a good gift, a beautiful display of his life, of his love. The life that we have Right, the air that we breathe today, the family and the friends around us to enjoy, this is love. But sometimes love from a parent looks a little different, right? Sometimes a love from a parent to a child looks like setting up appropriate boundaries. Saying, hey, here is where you can play so you don't get hit by a car, right? Saying, hey, we don't run with knives. That's not something we do, right? It's not to deprive of joy. It's to increase joy, and lead to their flourishment. So has God set boundaries for us because he knows that drunkenness and adultery and lying are things that are going to hurt us. 
It would be unloving of God not to warn us of the danger in these things. In his love and in his grace, he has shown us the road to flourishment. This is love. Sometimes love from a parent to child looks like discipline. But you don't discipline a child because you hate them, right? You discipline a child because you love them and you want the best for them, right? Israel, we see Israel was disciplined, right? As they, as they wandered, but it was out of love. God desired for them to be his people and to flourish. But a good and holy and just and loving God isn't okay with blatant disobedience. So sometimes love looks like correction. And oftentimes love from a parent to child looks like mercy and sacrifice, right? Sacrifice of your best. And that's what God has done for us. Even though that we are the child that has run away time and time again, we have disobeyed time and time again, God has proven his love for us on the cross. The ultimate display of mercy and sacrifice. So if we look at scripture in its entirety and we look at it correctly, we can't miss it. It's on every page. Different expressions of love, yes, but all the same love. God is love and it matters how you view God. Right? Because if you walk in this morning and you, you, know, you, you have a view of God, you see him as, as holy and just and righteous, but not a lot of love, you're gonna have a hard time approaching him. You're gonna have a hard time entering into worship. You're gonna have a hard time maybe even walking into this building. Or maybe for you, you know, you don't see a lot of love. You see the rules. You kind of see him as a boss figure with important things going on. If you don't see a lot of love, you're going you're gonna to say, okay, God, I'll, I'm only going to come to you with the big things, right? You don't care about the little things. I'm only going to come to you with the big things. You don't see him as a God of love, but he is. That's who God is. God is love. It told us right there. And he loves us. How amazing is that? So John wants us to know that love is essential to who God is. So if love is, is who God is, next John addresses how that love should change us. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So he, he ties it all back together to his original command to love one another. If this truly is who God is, a God of love, and he's done these things, which is to love us, which he has, then it must affect the way that we love one another. God's love is not just a received love, it's a reciprocal love. Meaning that we receive this most amazing, unthinkable, infinite love, and the only thing we can do to respond is to reciprocate that love back to God and back to others. To give that same love back to God, back to others. Right, in the same way, if, you're, if, you're, if you were a beggar on the side of the road, Right? And people have been passing by you all day. Maybe they've been looking past you your entire life. And someone stops and they see you and they, they invite you into your, their car and invite you into their home and they, they give you a meal. 
right? They help clean you up. They give you a shower. And maybe you start forming a relationship and, and they, they help you get a job, help you get on your feet. Maybe they help give you some money to get you started, right? They've displayed love to you. It would make no sense if you were this person who's been displayed, given great love, then to go on the street and see someone else in the same spot and not have an ounce of care for them. To an infinitely greater degree, in our poverty, we received undeserved grace and mercy from the God of the universe. And it only makes sense to give that love to others. Here's the thing. It's not just just something that should change us. It's love from God. It's not just a logical conclusion. John is telling us that if we have truly confessed that Jesus is the son of God and been given the Holy Spirit, it will change us. Look back at verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God, meaning in his full glory, face to face, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So no one has ever seen God in his his full glory face to face, but the world sees God, sees the love of God through us. That if we are truly Christians, then we have God's spirit in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, what does that mean? That love, that God's love is made complete in us. It almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? To say that an aspect of God is not complete without us. But John isn't being heretical. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that God doesn't love without a purpose. God doesn't love without a purpose, right? He didn't didn't love us just because or just for fun. He doesn't love without a purpose. He has a clear purpose. He has loved us so that we might reveal God more to others by the way that we love. That's God's intended purpose. To love us so that we might love others. To reveal himself more to his creation through his people. And the way that this happens is through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God has given us the Holy Spirit, which is God himself to transform our lives and to make us look more like the nature of God. And the nature of God, what is it? It is love. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, inevitably we are going to begin looking more and more like God. We're going to begin looking more and more like love. You see what John is saying here. Uh, Pastor John Piper um, sums basically where we're up at this point in scripture really well. Here's a quote from him. He says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. So John's point in this passage is that in the new birth, this aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who you are. The new birth is the imparting to you of divine life. And an indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love. And in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are. Yeah, see, there's an inseparable link between our ability and desire to love others and God's love for us. 
If we truly have been born again, if we've truly confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, if we truly have the Holy Spirit inside of us, then we are going to begin looking more and more like God's nature, which is love. And our culture doesn't get this sometimes, and sometimes we don't either. We spend so much time trying to increase in love for ourselves and others. And we put you know, effort into spreading that love out. Self-help books, meditation, volunteer programs. But if, that, if the love that we are reciprocating and giving is not from God, it's not going to last. It doesn't have any horsepower to it. We're going to start putting conditions on our love. I'll only love you if you love me back, or I'll only love you if we agree on the same things. If you agree with me, I'll love you, but if you don't, that's where I draw the line. Or our love is going to become really selfish. I'm really just loving others to feel better about myself. It's, it's actually selfish in nature. Or I'm really loving others because of what, how others might view me because I'm a good, loving person. It's not real. It's not lasting. It's not a complete type of love because it's not from God. But if we start with the love of God and we have received the Holy Spirit, we will begin to reciprocate that love back to others. God is the source of love and God is where we find our ability to love others. So moving into this last section, we're gonna see a challenging question presented to each of us this morning for us to examine in our own lives. It gets at the heart of this text. The question is this, is love present in your life? Examine yourself. Is love present in your life? Because if it is, we're going to be shown that we can have an incredible assurance of our faith, that our faith is real and the spirit is active inside of us. But if love is not present, there's an extremely strong warning for us in this text. So look at 16 again with me. It says, God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. <clears throat> so question for us to examine, is love present in your life? Because first John gives assurance to those who do love. It's important insurance. And, and, and here's how it goes. Genuine faith in Christ and his sacrifice is what saves us from judgment, right? Christ's sacrifice is what saves us from, ju from judgment and our genuine faith in that sacrifice, not our works, not anything else, genuine faith. But genuine faith has markers. Genuine faith has markers. Genuine faith looks like a life that's being transformed by the Holy Spirit, putting off of the old person that you were and putting on of a new person, putting on of the character of God, which is love. It doesn't need to be a perfect marker of love. Christ was perfect for us, right? So God is full of patience and grace as we grow. But if we truly have a genuine faith 
and we truly have the Spirit in us, then over time, we are going to begin being marked more and more by love. And when we see signs of fruit in our lives, growth in the area of love, when we see these signs, it should give us a confidence that destroys fear about the day of judgment. Because that fruit in our lives is a marker of genuine faith in the Spirit's presence in our lives. And if the Spirit is in us, that means Christ's atoning sacrifice was enough for us, enough for God to dwell in us. So we can have confidence that there will be no judgment for us. There will be no death for us. This is the assurance, the confidence we can have if this marker of love is, is shown. We can join Tim Keller, who recently passed away in the hope of eternity. As he, he said these final words to uh, his kids before he sat, passed away, he said, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. He had a confidence. He had an assurance that the Spirit was working in and through him. And that fruit being produced gave him the confidence to know there's nothing for me to fear in death. There's no judgment for me. Christ was enough. This is the type of confidence that we can have this morning in this room if love is present in our lives. So the presence of love in our life should give us assurance. But if this type of love is not present in your life, John presents a strong and clear warning, and I'll let the text do the talking. It says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. If hate is present in your life, if forgiveness is something that you can't bring yourself to do, and you don't see any fruit being produced in that area, and at the same time you claim to love God, says you are a liar because you can't love God and hate other people. Those two things are incompatible. It's impossible to receive such love and then to give hate. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be transformed by it. Yes, maybe over time, we're not perfect in a day. Yes, maybe it looks like steps of progress. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, and this is the reality of your life, you will be trapped in your hate and in the lie that you love God. Right? It's a serious warning. So if this is the reality in your life this morning, what do you do? How do you move from hate to love? Well, here's not what the answer is. The, not, the answer is not to reluctantly close your fist, clench your fist and just force out that love and forgiveness, even though you really don't want to. It's not to fake it until you make it either. No, the answer is not first to look out to others, but look, to look to God, to look to the God of love, to look at the cross, God's love for you, God's love poured out for you on the cross, to look at him, the personal love that God has given you and to be blown away by it, to see that you are the person that has run away. You are the person that is the enemy of God, but God loved you in your sin. To look at the cross to be blown away by it. And in your weakness, in your inability to do, produce love on your own, to do the only thing that you can do is to surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender to him. And when you do that, you will be given the Holy Spirit. 
and you will be given the horsepower to love and you will love God and you will love others as God has loved you. So for the Christians, how do we respond this week to this text? I've got two ways I think that we should respond. The first is this, is that we need to seek to know God's love more and more every day. Right, I'm preaching to myself here. Guys, it's, it's easy to forget about God's love, right? To remember his other attributes, but in the middle of a, a tough season, in the middle of a day, in the middle of sin, to forget that God is also a God of love. Or it's easy to grow complacent in our knowledge of God's love. But Joshua 1.8 says to meditate on God's word day and night. And what does God's word tell us all about on every page? It tells us about God's love. So if we want to understand love, we have to understand God. So what does it look like for you, maybe even this week, to find time to, to slow down, to reflect on God's love for you? Because the more that we grow to know this, this God of love, the more that that love will reflect in our lives. Second action step is this. I'm going to use the language of the text. Make God's love complete. Make God's love complete. See, when you give a gift to someone, a gift's purpose isn't complete in the giving of the gift, but the actual use of that gift. You don't give someone a gift just for the sake of the giving of the gift, but the hope that they will use that gift for its intended purpose. About a year ago, my dad got me one of the, the coolest gifts that, that I've ever gotten, probably my favorite gift I've ever gotten. Is he got me a, a workbench for my garage. And it's beautifully built. He spent a ton of time on it. It's an amazing workbench. He made it right, the, the perfect dimensions for, for my garage. He put wheels on the bottom so you can actually roll it out if you, if you need more space. You're working on a project. It's an amazing gift and I love it. And also my dad loved giving it to me, right? But his joy isn't complete in the gift giving. His joy is complete when the gift is used, right? There's going to be a lot less joy in this gift, in this, in this workbench that he gave me, if in three years he stops by, looks at that workbench, and it looks like it's hardly been touched, right? It's just things have been placed on top of it. But what will complete his joy and the purpose of that gift is the sawdust that covers it. Right? And, and, the, and the marks and the scratches and the dents that show that it has had good use because the gift is being used for its intended purpose. See, God has given us a tremendous gift to all of us this morning. He's given us his love. But his love, it comes with an intended purpose. So let's make God's love complete by using it this week in our lives for its intended purpose. By loving others as God has loved us. By seeking out, how can you do that this week? By serving others as Christ has served you, by encouraging others and building them up rather than tearing down, by giving from our best, by being quick to forgive, by reminding one another of Christ time and time again, extending the great love that we have so generously received. Let's pray. God, you are God of love.
God, it is essential to who you are. Lord, would you reveal to us this morning more and more about that love? God, would we see you to a greater degree who you actually are and the love that you have displayed for us? Lord, on the cross in all creation, God, create in, that us, create in us this morning that knowledge of your love. Reveal yourself more and more to us. But God, would we not do nothing with that love? Lord, with that love that we receive, Lord, and when we're given the Holy Spirit, would it change us? God, we pray that you would change us, that you would change us to look more and more like you, that love would be displayed in our workplace, in our families, in, our, in all of our, our lives because we have been loved by a good God. Now we want to extend it to others. Lord, let's not waste this gift. Help us not to waste this good gift that you have given us. God, would we love others the way that you have loved us. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, as we enter into time of worship, God, would we just sing about your love? Would we, would we see you as the God of love you are? Would you stir our affections more and more for you? In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.